Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Now, one of the things that I love most about introducing you to new friends is that I get to ask all of the questions that you might be a little nervous to ask. And today is a great example as I introduce you to yoga teacher Adi Shakti. Adi Shakti, that is like the most unbelievably cool name ever. So like a lot of our potential guests, all of them, I mean, I Google them, right? I want to see all the places where they've been interviewed before, where they've written things, their websites and so forth. Well, when I Googled Adi Shakti, that name came up all over the place. I thought, well, geez, I thought that was a unique name. It's not unique at all. There are a lot of people that have that name. And so in those moments, I realize, wow, I am really ignorant about a lot of things in this world. This is a popular name. This is a, it means something very special in the yogic philosophy. And I wasn't even aware of it. Gosh, I love the fact in those moments that I get to admit to myself, I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant about a lot of stuff that goes on in the world. And what's cool about that is that it opens me up to new ideas. It opens me up to learn from other people who have different life experiences. I'll admit to you up front, probably unlike most of you, I've never done yoga before. I've never practiced yoga. I don't even know how to say it. Practice yoga, done yoga, been introduced to yoga. When I'm asking these questions of Adi and most of our guests, I'm asking them out of genuine interest and learning. And sometimes I can sound like a complete idiot to people who, maybe you, already know all these things. But I don't care if I sound like an idiot because I know that there are so many people who want to ask the same questions but don't want to look silly in the process. So today, I have the privilege of introducing you to Adi Shakti. She's a yoga teacher. She's a conscious entrepreneur whose work and life is based out of an experimental yogic living permaculture center on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica. And that's where I had the opportunity to speak to her. Now, I wasn't in Costa Rica myself. She was there. I was in Southern California. The magic of the interweb. Now, she has trained hundreds of yoga teachers in the 200-hour, 300-hour lifestyle, social, entrepreneurship, prenatal, and trauma-informed professional focus areas. That's a mouthful. She's trained a lot of people, bottom line, through her company called Passion Yoga School. I had the privilege of being on her podcast called Soul Work just a couple weeks ago, and I really encourage you to go check out that. Her podcast is called Soul Work with Adi Shakti. You can find it on iTunes and probably Google and all those places. And uh, I had just an amazing time speaking with her. Okay, so in this episode, you're going to learn a number of things, including about Adi's introduction to yoga in Indiana, where she grew up, how Adi received her name from a yoga guru, guru, that's how she says it, in India, notice this, she grew up in Indiana, but she had her life transformed in India. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's a connection. Uh, how Adi started the Passion Yoga School in Costa Rica and about Adi's integration of yogic and Christian teachings, which I found very fascinating. So let's jump into my conversation with Adi Shakti. Well, Adi, thanks so much for taking time to hang with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, David, for having me. I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah. I want to know the story of 
when and how you were introduced to yoga and how did it impact your life kind of in those early early times when you were introduced to it? I, I found the practice, I think, the same way that a lot of people find it, uh, which was through the, the physical um, doorway. Um, and I think that that's an important uh, path. And, and having a foundation of physical health is, is really the um, beginning of, um, of being able to move into these deeper emotional, spiritual layers. And so I was about, I think, 13 the first time I practiced yoga. Um, and then I became certified at the age of 19, which was super young, um, in Chicago. And shortly thereafter, went to India, uh, where I spent about three months um, there with my teacher at the ashram in, in Rishikesh, which is just there in the foothills of the Himalaya. Um, and that's when I really understood the, the depth of the practice. You know, when you first get started, um, like I mentioned, you know, there's this superficial um, layer that, that we learn about and, and being able to safely perform the asanas and all of those things. Um, but then what really, really fascinated me and what's really driven um, my life and, and what it is that I offer now is an understanding of the energetics of the practice um, and how we can use our body, use our voice um, as a tool for really opening and getting into uh, the, de- the deeper layers of healing um, energetically. And so that's, yeah, so that's really what I focus on now in my teachings and, um, and the, yeah, the, the physical practice was, was, was the doorway for that. Yeah. Did you grow up with, um, like you said, at 13, you were, you pr- practiced yoga for the first time. Did you grow up with a family that was into that sort of thing? Or was that new for the, you or you know what I mean? Like, how did that play mm-hmm. out? Because that's a big transition from 13 and 19 being certified going to India, which mm-hmm. I've been to India like nine times myself. So I, Me uh, too, nine times. I yeah. just counted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing country. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, was that new for your family or how did that play out? My mom is a yoga teacher, actually, um, but she did not get certified until much later. Um, I had the blessing. I grew up, actually, in, in Black communities and Black schools. Um, and then where I went to high school um, was a Jesuit uni- um, a high school, and then I eventually studied at the Jesuit University. And they really emphasize philosophy um, and, and lifestyle ethics as the, as the foundation of what it is that they offer. And so they actually had a yoga teacher come uh, to the high school. And so that was the first time was, was actually through the Jesuits. Um, and, and that is how I, I found the practice. Now, when you went to India, how did you know, you know what I mean? Like there's a, you could have gone to a bazillion places in India. How did you choose the, the place that you went? How did you know about it? How, how were you introduced to it? Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was a am a Western seeker, and so I wanted to find a um, a program that was Yoga Alliance accredited because I did have goals for being able to um, offer in different ways in the United States and around the world. And so being a Yoga Alliance accredited program was important. And at that time in India, there weren't that many that were Yoga Alliance accredited. And so I found my teacher um, in that way um, and and studied with him. And it was an interesting story, actually, because the first time that I was in India, um, a lot of my my colleagues that were there studying with me took names from my teacher. 
And I did not want to take a name uh, the first time that I went. I didn't feel um, aligned with him. I wasn't ready to make that level of a commitment to him, you know, as, as a disciple, really, which is what the, the naming process really is about. Um, and so it took me a couple of trips before I finally um, surrendered and, and asked him formally to be my, my guide and teacher. And that's when I received my name. Um, but yeah, but I found him. It all started with a with a Google search and my little hippie uh, casita here in Costa Rica, and, and that's how I found my my teacher. And what does that mean? Because I'm 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 ignorant when it comes to this. What does it mean to take a name, um, mm-hmm. you know, from someone like that? What does that mean for you legally? What does it mean for just your rest of your life? How does mm-hmm. that How does that play out? So it's a it's a rebirth. So in the yoga philosophy, we talk about samskara. And so the normal person um, in their life, they're born um, and then they receive a lot of conditioning, right? Rather that be from their parents, um, from the schools, from the government, from where it is that they grow up, they're shaped. And without any say in how that's done, right? The religion that you're introduced to, um, all of these different components that happen early in our lives. And, and really, by the time we're about seven years old, we are who we are, right? And so the normal human being from the point that they turn about seven years old, they're on a trajectory based on their conditioning and follow a path that's been laid out to, um, for them based on that conditioning. And so the yoga practitioner, um, there's an interruption, there's a recognizing um, that the state of our mind, the state of our emotional body, our emotional system is a product of conditioning and that we have the ability to actually start to see that conditioning from a third party perspective and make choices around who it is that we want to be moving forward. And so when you take a name, it is a commitment um, and a, a deep spiritual um, rebirth where you are taking radical responsibility for your life, that you are um, committing to shedding the substance of the ego, which is this conditioned um, process, these, these patterns of mind, these patterns of emotion. You're committing to, to shedding that and to allowing your life to become um, a, a devotion to, to God um, and that you are taking responsibility and are going to be moving forward in your life in a way that, that you are developing conscious choice around how it is that you make your decisions. And so rather than being a victim of your conditioning, um, it's a big day in deciding that today, um, when you take that name, is, is the time um, that you're ready to, to move forward um, with, with awareness. So, yeah. Wow. And another uh, these questions i apologize if they're ignorant because it's just out of my this is what i do when i interview people as i learn you know so do you provide names for people that you now train that no i don't i have i've had several students ask um but i just had my 30th birthday <laughs> and i'm so i'm so blessed to to have been bestowed with so much support and love and wisdom in my life and i think i need at least like a half Head of gray before I have any business naming anyone. Well, I got a whole head of gray, so I could. All right, well, maybe you could load me some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a lot of, a lot of names. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't feel. Um, you know, I I would not describe myself uh, by any stretch of the imagination as an enlightened being, um, and uh, and really, that is the. Um, 
for most people that take a name, they're they're working with a teacher that has um, that has arrived, you know, that has um, a, a stillness and is able to maintain that third party perspective, um, and is really dwelling in a, in a different state of consciousness. And um, while I'm really confident in my ability to support uh, the people that I support, um, yeah, the concept of giving a name for me still just would feel very ego based. Um, and so maybe one day I'll arrive, but I, I don't think anytime soon. <laughs> So. Okay, so uh, I was actually a Christian pastor for over a decade. And so a lot of my work in India has been um, humanitarian work um, with people. And so mm-hmm. um, I would work with organizations, Christian organizations. We'd go into a lot of remote villages. I've spent very little time in cities. And so there would be this moment where, uh, I don't know if it's true for all Indian families, but for Christian Indian families, they wouldn't name the child until their first birthday. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like my second trip, you know, I've got a team of 25 people from my church and the pastor is hold, says, you know, hold this child. What do you want to name them? The family wants you to name them. And I'm looking at him with my <laughs> wide eyes going, uh, uh, I don't it's a know. big responsibility. <laughs> Ralph? How about Ralph? You know? <laughs> you know, I mean, I literally just look, put throw it with my hands up in the air. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, pick a Bible name. Um... Uh, Jezebel, I don't, I just, you know, like, I don't know. Anyway, so it, I've been there, you know, I know what that feeling is like. It is a wild feeling. So I have, there are multiple people in India that I have named. Yeah. Beautiful. Not because I'm enlightened, but just because I was put on the spot. Yeah, um, happens. So now you are in Costa Rica. Now I heard you say that you were in Costa Rica prior to going to, did you, how did you go to Costa Rica Tell me the story. I want to know this. You're in Costa Rica right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I graduated from college um, from Loyal University in Chicago with the Jesuits, as I mentioned, um, in 2011. And very shortly thereafter, I moved to Costa Rica. Um, I worked on a butterfly farm and with a rainforest re- uh, regeneration project. And then I got hired by a nonprofit. Um, to start a after-school program for a very, very rural and poor community here in Costa Rica. And so they literally sent me down here with like a backpack full of construction paper. <laughs> it was my job to create a program. So I, um, I lied a little bit. It's true. I lied. I said I spoke Spanish. And at that time, I kind of thought I did, but I, I really didn't. And so I Burrito. dove into the <laughs> taco and quesadilla do exactly. not Spanish, okay? <laughs> right, right. So that's, I, I was a little arrogant at that point. A, a lot of things, you know, I came in with an S on my chest. I was going to, this community was going to be better because I was there and all of these, these things that we believe when we start to move into this world of service and, and learn very, very quickly otherwise. Um, but I moved into this community and I was serving this community and I was there for a year um, and I started the program and then I um, just laid the logistical foundation of it, um, you know, where the place was going to be, the times, um, getting the students enrolled, the curriculum, all of these different things. And then I educated a local woman on how to do it. Um, and then I went to India and I went back to the United States um, after my journey to India, and I started working for an organization uh, where I was leading um, humanitarian um, tours all around the world. And so I was working with different um, organizations that would raise sometimes a lot of money, over a million dollars, one of our clients, um, to yeah, to do beautiful things abroad. So, and then we would take those funders to see their projects. 
And so we, um, throughout those couple of years, I was in the um, Ecuadorian Amazon with the Kofan people. We opened clinics there and um, rainforest uh, watch centers um, for to keep an eye out for illegal logging and clean rainwater catchment. I was in Guatemala, um, built a couple of schools there uh, with funders there. Um, human trafficking was our focus in India, um, in Kolkata, which is near Bangladesh there in the northeast corner. Um, and here in Costa Rica as well, we uh, built a, a community center for the indigenous. And so I had this lifestyle and I was at that point, I was what, 22 or however old I was. I was traveling constantly. I was in Bangkok, I was in Phnom Penh, I was in um, New York, I was in LA, I was in DC, I was back in Indianapolis, which is where I'm from, and just did this really intense um, travel schedule and was in these high poverty areas. Mm. Um, and it was heartbreaking and I would also, um, with my husband, we weren't married at the time, but it was difficult because I would go into Kolkata, India, into the red light districts. And, um, and then I'd come home to my husband and I've had this intense traumatic experience and I feel shame that I feel traumatized because I'm with these girls that were just rescued from the human trafficking industry and I'm feeling bad. And oh, yeah. it's like, what does that even mean? And I just need to toughen it up and trying to restore harmony with my husband after I'm having these intense experiences. So I did that for two years and um, so, so thankful that I have that foundation and saw the world and, and learned a lot about humanitarian give back um, and then couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it anymore. So I moved back to Costa Rica um, at that point and started my company. Um, and that was in 2014. And so I've been owning and operating our um, our organization here in Costa Rica since since 2014. So you originally went there to teach um, students, but then mm-hmm. it sounds like you just had a connection with the place and a desire to go back there to teach yoga. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are here in the, it's the Southern Caribbean coast. We've got a huge Jamaican influence and the indigenous influence and expats. And it's just one of the most beautiful, you know, I've, I've really blessed. I've seen a lot of places around the world. It's by far my favorite. And yeah, I tried to move back to Indianapolis. <laughs> it's hard to live in the Southern Caribbean or Costa Rica and then move back to Indianapolis. My mom is still working on me. Maybe one day I'll, I'll surrender and move back. But for now, I'm very, very happy here. So, And how do you legally do that in terms of staying in the country? Is it because you have a business or how does it work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have a, um, technically we're tourists. Uh, we have to leave every three months um, is how that works. But you can legally operate a business here. Um, and yeah, we're on track to become residents. We have land here and, um, and have roots and, and we just need to go through the process of becoming residents. Um, but it's quite easy for Americans anywhere around the world, really, as we know, um, it's an incredible blessing to, mm-hmm. to figure all those things out. So. so tell me what you're doing now in Costa Rica, because this is, you've been there, what, six years now, full time? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So tell me what so, you're doing here. So, um, Two years ago, we started the Soulwork Jungle Ashram. Um, so I partnered with a an American gentleman here um, that was had a huge piece of land and wanted to develop it, um, but didn't have a partner that he was confident in that could actually deliver and bringing groups to him. Um, and so he wanted um, 
yeah, he wanted to work with somebody that was more established in order to get that started. So I walked up to the fight. It's like an incredible story. I walk up there. He barely knows me. Um, you know, I have a reputation in the community, but other than that, didn't know anything about me. And I kind of looked around and I want this here and I want this there and I need 28 people and I need a house for my faculty and I need a kitchen here and a yoga platform there. And that's what I need. And he's like, okay, okay. And I'm just kind of looking at this guy like he's crazy. And then sure enough, six months later, there it is. My freaking permaculture yoga ashram. <laughs> so uh, it's just insane that it's worked out the way it has. And with it, you know, that's the, that's the cherry version. I mean, there's obviously um, challenges, of course, a lot of challenges, of course, but, um, but yeah, so we have the soul work jungle ashram here and we welcome groups um, throughout the year. Uh, We have 200 hour yoga teacher training, immersion programs. We have trauma informed yoga teacher trainings. We have silent retreats. um, And yeah, we host mostly women, um, from all around the world uh, for these intensives and really focus on taking them on a journey um, from deep spiritual inquiry to empowered uh, entrepreneurship. So I educate um, on the techniques and practices of yoga. We talk about social justice. We talk about the ethics of give back. Um, and I really work to empower um, the women that I work with, with um, financial competency and, and really getting skills to transform their passion um, into successful entrepreneurship um, through the practices of yoga or these alternative healing techniques. Um, yeah, really finding a way to actually sustain themselves as healers out in the world doing that work. So, mm-hmm. And when you talk about that, you mean just teaching them even just business skills, it sounds like. Is that mm-hmm. true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's something that we focus on a lot here that I think is really different um, because it's important. I think that, you know, we talk about the market being saturated and, you know, if you're talking about a, a yoga teacher trying to get a job at a studio, of course, that's really difficult. And one of the things that we talk about is this, um, the the competition and theory of competition and that when you actually take a step above kind of where everybody else is operating, there's a lot less competition there. You know, and for me to try and make good money as a yoga teacher in Indianapolis working at a yoga studio, I mean, of course, that would be almost impossible. Um, but if I'm creating a business in, in Costa Rica and my permaculture farm and, um, you know, kind of operating at a different level and keeping my mind open, you know, I really have been able to build a, a thriving business um, with that model. And so just kind of supporting people and thinking outside of the box a little bit and freedom entrepreneurship and lifestyle design um, and all of these kind of new paradigm ways of thinking about how it is that we can support ourselves and our families. So. Mm-hmm. What are some of the creative ways that you're teaching people that they can kind of rise above the the competition? What does that look like to rise above the competition in the yoga teaching world? Um, I think, you know, similar practices across the board, but really being clear about your niche, you know, um, really figuring out what exactly it is that you're good at. And something that we teach in our programs um, and and what happens earlier is we actually talk about shadow work in the wounds Mm -hmm. um, and how that very oftentimes is the exact place um, where we can draw inspiration in, in building our business. Um, So just to give you an example, you know, I had a student of mine that came through one of my programs and she had breast cancer when she was uh, 20 and they had to remove one of her breasts 
And um, of course, that was, you know, um, traumatic for her. And during our program, she came up with this idea that she wanted to host circles for women um, once they found out that they were diagnosed through the process of, of having the breast removed and then after so that there was like a spiritual community and not just a spiritual community, but a spiritual community with this kind of hippie vibe, right? Because that's that's how people are, are thriving now is, you know, you're coming together and you're you're burning candles and you're in nature and, you know, ancient songs and um, weaving in these indigenous um, components of practice or the, the, um, the yogic um, way is, is really attractive and people really feel connected to that. I think a lot of people have trauma around the traditional Christian model because it wasn't a choice for them. Um, and I think some people leave it and then choose it and come back and it's really powerful. But I think that that can be um, a trauma that to have kind of this religion forced upon you if it doesn't really resonate. And so choosing um, this different spiritual path is really, really powerful for people. And so and so she came up with this business model while she was with me and we fleshed it out and talked about it and how we can market it, how we can do this. And yeah, and she went back and, and is, is supporting women that are going through that struggle and it came from her own wound. Um, and so we really educate on, on that. How is it that we can transform our trauma, transform our wounds into ways that we can actually give back out in the world? Mm-hmm. Did would you say that a Christian experience in your early years was wounding to you? Did you find that to be a challenge for you personally? I did not. Um, I am, am lucky in that, and I was raised with a lot of um, pride and an, an understanding of my family line and family history, um, and. I, I do think there was a, a period of my life and in college, most specifically, I studied Western philosophy. And so there was a point where I moved away from my faith um, and just wanted to believe myself rather than I, I wanted to make sure that the choice that, that what it is that I was practicing and what it is that I was preaching, you know, came from a conscious choice rather than just something I'd been told. Hmm. Um, and so but I had a very loving um, introduction to, to Christianity and with my grandmother and very fond memories of going to church and all of those things. Um, but there was definitely a point in my life where I, I fought with that. I, I wanted to make sure that, um, yeah, that it was a, something that felt um, good to me. And that just because I grew up in Indiana with, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, parents and grandparents that I, I refused to accept that somehow I'd been born into the right way and that that was the only right way. And I really needed to, to grapple and, um, and have that, that struggle, um, with, with my faith, mm-hmm. um, in my life. Yeah. How do you integrate? Um, cause it sounds like, uh, Jesus's or a Christian faith is a part of your life. Even still now, how do you integrate mm-hmm. that with the yogic teachings and philosophies or do mm-hmm. you? Yeah, so I um, actually spent some time in Srinagar, um, which you may or may not know is um, an area in in northern, northern India. And some people believe that Jesus is actually buried there. Um, And there's actually uh, books and all kinds of interesting ideas around that that is where he was um, during his missing years Mm -hmm. and that he was, um, yeah, in India studying. And so it's really interesting, and there are interesting parallels between um, when we look at the teachings of Jesus and when we look at the teachings of yoga. And so with the teachings of yoga, the, the, um, the primary 
focus of what it is that we're doing as yoga practitioners is identifying with the Western, um, with the inner witness. And so what that means is that we ask the question, what is permanent in you and the yoga philosophy, right? So your body's always changing, your mind's always changing, your emotions are always changing. So what is it that's permanent in you? And the answer to that with the yogic philosophy is the witness that there is some all conscious being inside of you that is watching the fluctuations of your life unfold. And that the witness inside of me is actually the same as the witness inside of you, right? And so that we share this consciousness that is watching our lives unfold. And that that, when we look at um, Islam or when we look at Christianity, when we look at these different religions, that that is God, right? That that is God. And so when Jesus shares that he is God, um, when Jesus shares, you know, behold, the, the kingdom of God is within you, um, that this actually completely aligns with the, the teachings and the practices of yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we look at the ethical commitments, when we look at his, um, the way that he lived his life, you know, it's in perfect alignment um, with, with the yogic philosophy. And so, you know, I've been taught, and I'm not sure what, um, you know, your school of thinking is, but I've, I've sat with different um, thinkers and, and teachers and leaders in the Christian faith and have, have explained to me that, you know, Jesus being the bridge from, um, this human experience into, you know, the, the kingdom and the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, believe that there are many different walks and paths to arrive there, mm-hmm. um, that Jesus and, and, and having a teacher like that, I mean, he was the first master I was introduced to, absolutely. Um, but that, but that, yes, that there are many different ways to dance with the divine um, and, that, and that his teachings were, were incredible and 100% in line. But we just don't teach, you know, Jesus as being the, the primary um, teacher, um, that there are many, um, but yeah, but it, it all, it all falls together very, very beautifully. Yeah. How is your approach to yoga unique? Because I, I have, I've watched quite a bit of your videos. I've read quite a bit of your material and you have a, uh, and it doesn't come across as, uh, you know, pompous or prideful in any way, but just saying, Oh no, there's a uniqueness to what we're doing. It's not just, um, you know, these different positions and, you know, talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. So I think that what's really um, special about what we do in the West um, is that we are rooted in lineage. And so I think that that is something that has been lost. When we look at the history of yoga and how it's developed in the West, just here in the last 20 or 30 years, there are now, um, I don't want to use the word white, but um, yeah, I'll just say it. <laughs> There's white teachers, right, um, that are educating the next Um, line of teachers, and I'm one of them, right? Um, And that is very, very new. So it was a a series of Indian teachers that came with lineage from India um, that were offering the teachings. Um, And then they offered those teachings to the West. And then from there now, they've been offered again. And again, so we're kind of in the third or fourth generation from the guru, from the Indian guru, and the teachings being um, taught in the West. And so with that, I think that there's a lot of um, depth that can be lost just in, in translation, right? It's a natural thing. And so it's become more of this um, physical practice. A lot of the um, Sanskrit and the philosophy and the understanding of the eightfold path, the eight-limbed path, excuse me, um, all of that has, has been lost. The Sanskrit songs, the mantra, um, all of these things. I think what's different about us um, is that my 
lineage comes directly from India, comes directly from my teacher, and that they're and that he actively guides and supports me um, regularly. And so we are are still very much so connected with the ancient teachings as they are in India, um, as well as you know educating on these Western um, business practices and things that really support people in building um, a powerful business. Um, but yeah, but that we have depth that I have been blessed by my teacher to offer these teachings, and that there is um, accountability and integrity, um, and yeah, just a lot of depth to what it is that we offer. Mm-hmm. So people come and not only train with you, but they can just go for a some sort of retreat, right? Not mm-hmm. just to be trained as a yoga teacher, but just go and experience what you have to offer. Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. And I know you, you do some work here in the U.S., a few retreats here, but also treats, retreats in Costa Rica. The best URL for them to visit, I know you primarily, you've got several. Yes. So soulwork.com is going to be where people can find um, all of our upcoming retreats, um, our trainings. Um, We have the silent retreat, which is a really powerful opportunity um, to dive into a lot of the emotional detox um, later this year. Um, And then we also have the Soulwork Academy online, um, which is a membership-based tuition um, at $9 a month. And we're offering yoga teacher training um, quality education, uh, philosophy, the postures, everything is available there as well. Um, and then we have the film uh, that just came out uh, this week, actually, which is really exciting. Um, so there's all kinds of different ways that people can uh, can collaborate with us and free trainings on the website, all kinds of beautiful things there at soulwork.com. Tell us about the film. Why did you create this? What is it? I've watched it. It's amazing. Um, tell us about the the heart behind it. So the film, the idea is that, um, you know, through social media, through email marketing, you know, all these different tools that we have to um, connect with, with our audience, it, it, there's really no substitute for really um, seeing and feeling and being with the process here in Costa Rica. And the film just felt like a really, really important um, anthem for this generation of leaders that are emerging um, and weaving together a spiritual life um, with a thriving business, um, really moving into this new paradigm way of um, being of service um, and, and, and creating businesses that are both profit-based as well as are, are serving um, the community in, in a powerful way. And so we really wanted a, a super visual um, and emotional way to connect with our students. It's our students are super proud of it um, that have participated with us and also to call in people and to really give people a taste of who we are and what we're about uh, to call in the tribe that we will be working with in the future. Adi, I'm blown away by what you're doing. I mean, you're an adventurist. Oh, thanks, David. Without a doubt. I mean, and I love your heart behind, hey, got to make a living, want to help people make a living, and want to use tools to do it, have a value for the traditions and lineage that are super important to you. And um, I love your heart behind, okay, how do, what's sustainable? You know, what's sustainable in terms of lifestyle? What's sustainable in terms of the, the actual physical property that you have? And the ashram there is just gorgeous. I mean, my goodness, the video that I've seen is just beautiful, man. Oh, thank you so much, David. I appreciate that a lot. So beautiful. So, all right. So we'll put, uh, get people going to soulwork.com. You've got to sign up and get access to watch the film. Let's see. That's about 40 minutes. Am I right? About a 40. Yeah, it's right around, right under 50 minutes. 
Yeah. 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 So you'll love it. It's like a, it's like a 50 minute meditation, just <laughs> soaking in the beauty of Costa Rica. I started to sweat from the humidity, just watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us, Adi. Oh, thank you, David. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adi. I loved speaking with her and I consider her a new friend that I have to learn from and connect with on the interwebs. You can check out all the links to her social media and her website at insporising.com or you can simply swipe up on your phone now and all those links are in the show notes. Be sure to watch the Soul Work video, almost 50 minutes. It is a, uh, like I said, a visual meditation and talks about all of her work there in Costa Rica. It is really powerful. Now I have a question for you. Who do you know that would enjoy listening to this episode? Think for a moment now, who would enjoy listening to this episode about Adi Shakti from Costa Rica, all about how she was introduced to the practice of yoga, how she integrates that with her own uh, Christian thoughts and teachings. Tell them about this episode and tell them to listen to it on the Inspiration Rising podcast. It's available on Apple or Google Podcasts right on your smartphone. Better yet, take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and text it right to your friend. All right, until next time, have a wonderful week.